Hello and welcome to episode 201 of WB40, the weekly podcast with me, Matt Ballantyne and Chris Weston. Welcome back, dear listener, and welcome back, Matt, to what promises to be, well, a fascinating autumn, winter, is that where we are? Or I suppose we're in the autumn now, aren't we? I'm trying not to think about it too much, but yes, we're in the autumn and winter and we're going to head all the way through to the end of the year with WB40 and I hope it's going to be a good one, Matt. Yes, it's close to... Six years since we started this um, experiment, and we're still going. And we're back from uh, a reasonably long summer break, which is... It seems that the summer has only just arrived, actually, if truth be told. And it's been rather more for the last couple of days, which it hasn't been for large swathes of the bit where I actually had my family around me and we took them to places that weren't home. So there we go. But, uh, yeah, how was your summer? Well... I guess it was it was okay, you know. We did to get away a little bit, and there was some sunshine early on, wasn't there? And I do I do admit that it has been a little bit little bit recently, but you know I've had the occasional time off work, and I've done some work, and it's been it's been quite interesting. We've spoken to some interesting people, managed to get into actually going to London for um, you know, a few reasons. Of course, one one of them was just before we finished our break when we did the WB40 get together. Um, which we should do again, you know, before before long, because it was good fun and the hopefully the ongoing return to work kind of more people moving around will encourage people to travel a little bit more. I actually went into uh, the office for the first time in eighteen months, and that was exciting because there was nobody there. I was completely, I mean, generally there was nobody there, not not even a, not a soul, and I. I kind of went to the coffee machine to press the button for a coffee and nothing came out really because there was no milk in it. And of course, I thought to myself, well, of course there's no milk in it. Nobody's here to put milk in it. Why Why would I assume that there was milk in it? And there was, there was nothing anywhere. So I was... And then, and then my, my colleague Mark turned up, who we've heard from on the podcast before. And then another person turned up, which was nice because neither of us had met him before. And he came and introduced himself and we all said hello. And then he went and did his work and that was it really. That was the That was the whole office for the day. So that was that was interesting, but it was nice to be back in London and able to get about quite easily. There was nobody around, so I think that's changing. So I've seen a, something about the tube being as as busy as it's been in a long time today. Lots of people being herded back to their offices, and and uh, so we'll see how it works from here. But no, the summer's been okay, Matt, and it's been uh, it's been interesting not doing WB forty because the world moves on, right? So we've got quite a lot to talk about really with you know the whole COVID uh, thing situation, how offices are starting to come back, you know, what's the what the what the technological challenges are. I've been judging the CIO one hundred this week and that's been, you know, again reading stories of of the because of the because of the, the fact that the CIO one hundred and the UK CIO one hundred was pushed back like six months last year because of COVID. So we did the judging in February, but we didn't actually announce anybody until the autumn. That means that we, because now we're not judging until later, that's 18 months really of, of our time to cover for all those people who are submitted, submitted for the 100. So, uh, and every, every industry has had, clearly had its own challenges, its own particular things to solve. There are businesses that were you know, maybe on the brink of going under because of the, the the issues with COVID. There were businesses which were boosted, really, by the fact that this disruption had happened. And seeing the different ways that people cope with that was quite interesting too. So yeah, it's been a it's been a funny old time. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think that, that the kind of relentless plodding through of, of what we do next and it not really quite happening yet is interesting. I've been um, in the last week or so actually into the office twice. I don't have to commute on trains and things because it's actually walking distance from where I live, which is a bit of a novelty still. I've worked from home far more now than I have worked in the office of my employer. I had about six months in the office and then it's been 18 months nearly of working from home so my my model for that is very much home-based i've now got three staff who are brought in who don't live commutable distance from the office so i'm not expecting them to be in the office regularly i've got two members of staff who've relocated away from the area to now no longer be commuting you know same for them but i think that the being able to use time in person to be able to work together as opposed to to work in splendid isolation, which sounds so obvious, but I think actually going into offices to sit at a desk to work feels like a very strange thing. I've also been thinking actually about the extent to which a lot of the narrative at the moment about going back to offices seems to be very much focused on the idea of offices being in uh, what were formerly vibrant and exciting cities in the middle of places. And what that's not really talking about is the vast swathes of offices that we have, particularly, I guess, built in the 80s and 90s, before we'd realised that maybe just relying on cars wasn't a good idea. And they're in out-of-town locations, in business parks, the sort of thing that was epitomised in The Office, the, the Ricky Gervais series. And that they have been built, they often are an enormous distance away from any sort of public transport, but they also don't have nearly enough parking. So if you don't get there at like half past seven, then you'll find you had to park on a dodgy yellow line somewhere on roads surrounding the business park. And they're in, you know, the outskirts of places like Slough or Marlow or Maidenhead or I was in one, in, um, I did a day trip uh, when I was doing some work for government and I had partly in, in Birkenhead and partly in Warrington and these offices in the middle of nowhere in places which were difficult to be able to get access to. And those kind of, why would anybody want to go? But why did anybody want to go to those in the first place? No social life because everybody drives, so therefore there's no after-work activity going on at all because there's nothing around there anyway. Those kind of offices, I think, I can kind of see how people will drift back into city centre-type environments, but will people really want to go back to those awful business park offices that you know, surround so many of our medium-sized towns across the country to be able to sit at a desk when you could just sit at home having not had to drive in and go through the stress of trying to find somewhere to park. So, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I I spoke to somebody today in an organisation who they'd mandated that everybody go back to work today. So it was kind of a, it was a three-line whip. Everybody back to the office, no no funding about it at home anymore. And of course, there wasn't enough desk for everybody, and all the meeting rooms were full. And it was—it seemed to me that it was a little bit, maybe not quite thought through in terms of what that meant. Because even on a good day, rarely would everybody be in the office right before before this happened. So we got used to a certain cadence. I think the—I think you're right. I mean, there were there are definitely issues with the kind of business park offices, but there always were. And as you say, there were they were there were places that we went to do a job, but. By the same token, they they had their own communities. They had their own, you know. There would usually be a pub on site or nearby that people could go to, and even if they're only having a you know a pint before they go home, there there's a there's definitely a reason for those to exist. And that you know there are offices in all sorts of places. You know, industrial estates where they're not 
they're not there. They're not, you haven't built lots of offices. There are warehouses and there are factories and there are, you know assembly shops and logistics with offices attached, right? And all of those places where where you're actually going to be with your colleagues or next to the people doing the stuff that you're serving and all that kind of thing. And I think there's a value. I, the more you know, the more I I think about it, the more I I I realise that there's a value in that. But it's also having been away for such a long time you know when i so when i went to london and that was you know great it was also really stressful because i had to think about where's my bag you know what do i put in my bag i put my computer in my bag and i put my power supply for my computer in my bag but 18 months ago i would go all over the place and i'd go yeah no problem yes of course i can go to brussels next week or tomorrow you know no problem at all i'll get my bag and i'll put my stuff in it i'll go and i know where my passport is and i know where my Everything is, and I know where my headset is, you know, my Bluetooth headset that I use for my calls or for listening to stuff or whatever. Th- those weren't in my bag when I went to London. I had I, I had a call to do. I didn't have a headset because I hadn't really thought about it. I've got no idea where all this stuff was. Where's my Oyster card? Where's my, where's, where's, where's anything? No idea. It was, it was the idea that I could just, just dash off to far from places at the drop of a hat. Yeah, the, the habits that we've fallen out of throughout all of this and whether we will pick them up again or not. So it's going to be a recurring theme, I think, for the, the next few years, to be honest. And actually, alongside all of that, the other thing that has happened over the summer is as it, it's, it's, you know, you get to a certain age, you're getting close to a very certain age, I believe, and midlife crises starts to be able to come at some more regularly. So I've started running and I'm now just coming to the end of week six of the couch to five very very good training programs in the lap that the bbc produced and i'm running nearly 5k i did four kilometers today and i'm sort of running more time and distance than i have done uh, at any time since three decades ago than i was at school that's just r- remarkable laudable that yeah that's i, I it, applaud yeah. you thank you and i mean it's, to be honest if you'd seen me and i got home after tonight's run you wouldn't have applauded me you'd have, have probably asked Co- me to Co- leave Co- yeah, but it's uh, yeah. So that's been been an interesting, and the way in which actually the little tiny bit of very simple technology of just basically essentially a podcast really helping to be able to shape and motivate and be able to get you to be able to do things that you wouldn't necessarily have thought about. And so, so that's good. I feel like I'm a bit healthier. No, that is good. And you know, I think we all have to uh, deal with in you know this in our own way. Especially you know you're you're clearly older than me, and and uh, you're. You're starting to worry about your, you know, the, your longevity in terms of your physical frame, which is which is understandable, Matt. You know, it's 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 reasonable, and of course, running is 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 great. But of course, you need to think about what you're running from, Matt. <laughs> yes, that's many things. Chris, many things. <laughs> are you running from, or are you, are you running to? That's no, I'm, I'm almost certainly running away from things. <laughs> so uh, that's that's you know at least I know it and acknowledge it. Anyway, on this week's show, we're going to give a bit of a preview of what we've got coming up over probably the next three or four months in terms of guests and themes and topics, because we thought it would be an idea to be able to have some sort of plan, which is is not a, a usual state of affairs for this show, to be honest. But we thought we would share that with you as you think about what are the things that are going to be on our agenda at WB40 in the autumn of 2021. So let's get on with that. So what is coming up in the next three or four months we're going to talk about this in in three sections 
Uh, the first is people that we know that we're definitely going to get on the show because we've kind of booked them in already and some of the things that they'll be talking about. The second is the slightly more tentative people that we think we might be able to get on the show but we haven't actually confirmed with yet, including potentially a very over-elaborate plan involving, involving a London taxi. And then the final bit, we we're just talking about some of maybe the themes that we think we need to explore over the course of uh, the next three or four months and that's kind of maybe help us to be able to identify other guests that we need to be able to get on the show or bring in suggestions from the audience that's you so starting off with the people what we have definitely got booked in already let's start with chris yap tell us about chris yap chris so chris is somebody who is uh he's in the midlands he's been uh, around my network for a while he's a he's one of these uh, chaps who's a really uh, deep thinker very very smart lots of experience in many different tech areas over his career and i think he was he was a senior guy at microsoft once upon a time head of public sector innovation or something like that he's been he's been around the sort of public sector IT world. He's been around government uh, think tanks and the people like Demos and things like that. So he's a he's a he's a great guy to to listen to. And with Chris, we'll be talking about things like you know digital government. You know what the the, the politics of of things like data and uh, the way that that government uses data in nowadays. I mean, we've talked about this quite a long time ago, but it's, it's really time we we talked about it again, I guess. And, and of course, I think I'm sure we'll we'll talk a little bit about the future of of, of work and the way that Chris sees the the way the future of work evolving around remote work, hybrid, all that kind of stuff. And kind of related to that as well is a former civil servant in Estonia called Laurie Allman, who's co-founder of a organisation called Cybexa Technologies, looking in the whole realm of cybersecurity. And a civil servant, Estonia, of course, kind of famed for its digital focus in the last few years. And Laurie's background is the Estonian Ministry of Defence, and he was involved in the negotiations to be able to bring Estonia into NATO. And so a fascinating combination of experience and a sort of views from other countries from outside this pestilent little island that we now inhabit so that'll be quite interesting i think we've also got alistair scott yeah and that'll be an interesting conversation as well because alistair is one of these um one of these chaps who was really at the start of the digital revolution you know he was quite a young guy when uh the internet was was coming into work and and he was he created one of the first kind of what, what you'd now call a digital agency really so I think we'll learn a lot about what he thinks the you know how that whole kind of martech world marketing technology what what does digital really mean now what what maybe maybe even what what are the next things that are going to happen because he's he's very much uh, involved in things that are cutting edge so that would be an interesting conversation fabulous and then continuing exploration of issues around diversity and inclusion we've got amy lowe and Teresa lofthouse lined up from an organization called ability net yeah so ability net their focus really is accessibility so they are working with and championing championing organizations who are pushing for accessibility to be a really important part of tech and so if you think about some of the conversations we've had before around diversity and neurodiversity and things like that these guys are are very very focused in on how people can how we can can democratize the whole the whole workplace 
how how employers can get people with various accessibility needs into their workforce and help them to work more effectively, and also how how we can think about accessibility as we create software and create products. Because of course these days it's a bit like I guess I mean your world, Matt. Everything that you do, you guys do has to have some sort of accessibility wrapper around it because you 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 can't be sure who your you know customers are or what or what needs they have. Well, to be fair, under the Disability Discrimination Act. Every organisation has to be able to do that. It was interesting, I was chatting to Simon Minty, who was a guest on the show a few years ago and is a consultant in the the world of um, accessibility. And I think this is something that we'll be talking about with Theresa and Amy, which is rather than thinking about how do you make your services accessible, how do you make sure that in your services you're not putting up barriers to them being accessible, and actually thinking about what you are doing to make your services inaccessible, probably unwittingly, as opposed to making them accessible. And that's an interesting switch of, of, of framing a bit all. There's a work, actually, in the last week or so, one of my colleagues who's involved quite heavily in our transformation programme, she's had some problems with her eyes. And the, the net result of that is that she's been struggling incredibly with any sort of any, anything and missing a bright light. And it's, I think, actually in conversation with her, massive learning thing for her, but also actually it's really opened my mind quite a bit as well. The extent to which we expect people to be able to rely on light-emitting devices to just engage with the world these days. And she was really struggling to be able to do anything because she just couldn't have a laptop screen on. She had to have a... She eventually found a mobile screen set at its very lowest um, setting and with the high contrast mode on was just about bearable but anything else would give her blinding pains in her in her head and that the extent to which we now have a bunch of assumptions about patterns of interaction and if you challenge any of those at even a very superficial level you suddenly realize actually we've 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 built services that have got incredible barriers to many different sorts of people as a result of the fact that we don't still think about it enough so that will be a very interesting conversation the other thing and we this is the one that we have a definite date for which is very exciting the it directors forum the event where you and i first met all those years ago christopher yeah um, eyes across a crowded room and all that indeed uh, eyes across a crowded boat as it was anyway the uh, middle of october the it uh, directors forum is going to be back at the hotel in watford as i delight in calling it and we're going to be recording that week's episode of the sh- at the it directors forum and we're going to be talking i think what we've agreed is we're going to be talking about what are the things that we've learned that a cio needs to know that the cio doesn't generally know that they need to know we might make it a bit snappier in terms of the title. So what over the course of doing this show are the things, maybe the more left field things that we've picked up in terms of thinking about how you could be more effectively managing technology and and then open that up to a, a debate within the group of people who come along to it. So that should be quite entertaining doing it with a... Looking forward to that. An audience. Excellent. So those are the people that we've got confirmed for the, the next few months. Now, we've got then a group of people that we haven't necessarily got confirmed, but we're working on. Now, let's start off with Tom Standage, who's the technology editor of The Economist, an author. He's just released a book which is about the history of transportation, kind of focused around the car, but talks about the the history of 
transport and fascinating parallels um, being drawn. The thing I like about Tom's books is they often focus on historical technology but draws parallels to the technologies that we have today. So, for example, in the explosion of the motor car in the early 20th century, we are left with two very important elements that came out of that massive explosion of people uh, buying cars. The first is the well-known one, which is definitely the well-known one, which is uh, the the, the moving production line, the, the invention of... Henry Ford, to a great extent, and the thing that gives us the ability to do mass production still to this day. And then the other thing was the management techniques of Sloan, who was the chief executive of General Motors. And some of the things that they did about both splitting up their organisation into divisions, being able to put brands together that would allow you to be able to sell different products at different price points to different populations even though it's all basically the same. And also building in annual changes to your models so that you can continually drive a demand for people to want to buy the new one because of the status and whatever is associated with it. And one of the things in the book he talks about is how actually maybe the smartphone is the new car to that because actually smartphone manufacturing is done with production lines. There is the segmentation of branding that they do either with different model styles or in some of the Chinese companies actually having very different brands to represent different parts of the market and every year they release a new version with new bells and whistles that makes you want to buy the new one and makes the other one a little bit obsolete um, and maybe more democratic because they're much cheaper than a car relatively speaking so so anyway tom hopefully will be coming on to the show just need to see if we can get that arranged and there is a slightly madcap plan to see if we can do the recording of that in a taxi we will see. That will certainly uh, break the mould, won't it, right? That will be a, something that everybody will be doing in the future. <laughs> I, I think it's a winner. Who else we got? So, Tortoise. We spoke, was it this year, last year? I'm losing track of years. In the last 12 months. with this It was year. earlier this year. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Matt Dancona, who is a journalist who had written his book about the three eyes, wasn't it, that, that Matt came on to talk about. Matt is also one of the people behind a thing called tortoise, which if you're not aware of it, well, how would you explain tortoise? Well, they, they call it a slow news service, don't they? So the point is that it was set up to to be a counterpoint to the what has become a kind of rolling news. Everybody wants to be first with the story or nobody wants to be, be reporting a story after Sky and ITV and BBC. So the idea is that uh, this is, rather than reacting to stories straight away, it's about building a sort of media portal that are, that has a deep, sort of, what do you call it, an in-depth look at stories and, and, and takes a considered view, which is quite good. I mean, actually, I, I, I like you, Matt, I've been a member since the, the first day and I, I think it's been a really valuable experience. Yeah, and the, the, the thing I'm interested to be able to find out more about them is, first of all, that it's a completely digital distribution model. They don't have any of the legacy of newspaper or television, and so they've been able to build up a new news brand solely for the, the, the channels that we have today. And then the other thing is they've been very participative in how they have been building what they do. And so from the very start, they had the concept of thinkings and open editorial meetings. So they have meetings, group sessions where people who are part of the 
the audience can come along and participate in discussions and debate about some of the topics that they're looking at. And through the pandemic, they've moved most of that online. It'd be interesting to know how much of it they're going to plan to be able to move back into uh, physical space. And if they're indeed going to look at hybrid models, because actually being able to do it online makes it certainly more accessible for people, more accessible for people not having to go to certain places at a certain time. So anyway, hopefully we'll be getting somebody from Tortoise to be able to allow us to just explore a bit more about how they've built that business and the role that digital channels have had but both in the the way in which they first thought about the, the the whole venture but actually how that's changed over the course of pandemic as well and then the final person who i'm really hoping to be able to get on to the show did have discussions with her earlier in the year which i'm rekindling now it's a lady called annie jameson who works for the national science and media museum up in bradford and she is a um a I think a doctor in the study of history of sound technologies. And she also does work around hearing risk and and making sure places aren't too loud. And she also does stuff around using sound in museums. And it's sort of following on from the conversations we had with Timo Peach earlier in the year, being able to just explore a bit more about that particular branch of technology, which is one that's very dear to my heart. So there you go. People we've got confirmed, people that we're working on. If you do have ideas for people that we should be talking to, let us know. Even better, introduce them to us. Um, Because we're always looking for interesting people to be able to have conversations with about the broader question about what is it you need to know to be able to understand how to go about managing technology in 2021 and beyond. So uh, you know where to find us. We're on Twitter at wb40podcast.com. Uh, or on the internet at wb40podcast.com. The final part of looking ahead then is thinking about some of the broader themes that we uh, should be looking at. One of them, as we end what was a quite a weird, weird season globally with storms and fires, and, and no doubt we'll get into more weirdness as we get into uh, the winter months in the Northern Hemisphere, is around the environment and the fact that the UK is hosting the COP26 in Scotland in November, I think. Um, That's right. I, I think Amanda uh, Brock talked about it, didn't she, when, when she was on the, on the podcast a, a few weeks ago, back in the early summer. And it's going to be it's going to be an interesting time because the news agenda will be will be influenced by it as always when you have one of these things on your shores. The whole issue of the environment, what we're doing around climate change, it doesn't feel like it's in many ways much on the front of the agenda of much in the world of information technology at the moment. There was maybe 10 years ago it starts to become a thing. Have you seen much as you've been doing the, the CIO 100 judging? Yeah, definitely. Well, we we have a question which is about that so that, that people answer, and and you know, different people see this subject with a different sense of ownership. I guess some believe that it's you know it's one of the overriding issues of their generation, and they want to be involved. They want to find out ways that they can they can help mitigate what's going on. Some people just see it as, look, this problem's too big for me to worry about, so I'm just going to take the view that my, my suppliers are going to deal with it, right? My, if I go to Azure or if I go to AWS or whatever, I can say that we are using far less power for the infrastructure we use than we would if we were doing housing ourselves, probably. And that's, and, and that's how they, they view it. Certainly at IDC, to kind of talk about the work for a moment, now we have a sustainability practice and they take 
they take a view on all of these things from environment or sustainability through diversity and inclusion and how sustainability of work practices, things like ethics and things like, you know, how are you, how well are you engaging with your your environment and with your communities and things like that. So we 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 do on, on across all of that. And one of those things is the sustainability index for the vendors. So people like Google and Microsoft and um, Dell and HP and all those sort of things to, to judge them against all of those things. Because I think a lot of organizations, whether whether the CIO is driving it or not, a lot of organizations are saying, you know, in order to in order to maintain our credibility from a from a corporate um, responsibility point of view, we need our suppliers to show that they're that they're working sustainably. So if you look at the, what Dell do, for example, Dell have got a really quite good story around the circular economy, about you know as, as, as little waste as possible coming out of their factories, etc. And certainly there there are people in government and there are people in in larger industries who are who are looking at making this a kind of standard for the the supply chains they use. So. So yeah, I mean, I see it. Is it always on top of mind for CIOs? Not always, and and, and sometimes it's it's kind of it'll be nice. It, it, it'll be nice to be able to do something about it, but unfortunately, you know, we can't. So I think it does depend on the on the individual kind of awareness. It might be an idea. There's somebody we had on the show quite a while ago now called Ed Gillespie, who was talking, I think, at the time about the sustainable. The UN Sustainability Goals. He published a blog post uh, a little earlier in the summer, which was, in many ways, it was a kind of, it was quite a depressing read. But talking about the the need for people to actually take um, a much more serious look at what's going on, he talked about how, you know, aims to be able to get to net zero by twenty, is it fifty? The targets sit there just aren't enough. And a lot of it is window dressing anyway. The, the note in particular that with some of the forest fires in northern United States, there have been massive fires that have been trees that were planted to do what carbon offset going up in flames. And that this, this the whole thing is not is not working and won't work for as long as we think we can just, you know, plant a few trees to be able to offset the emission of carbon. And that's really got me thinking because one of the other things that he talked about in that piece was about how organisations, he was thinking more about consulting organisations, but I think more broadly that organisations should be thinking about their carbon footprint, including the emissions that are generated by their customers using their products or services. And when you start to think of it in that way, um, you know, the automotive industry has really got a lot of thinking to do. And it maybe is starting to actually with the, 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 the focus on power sources for cars is definitely shifted now. In my own sector in housing, something like 70% of domestic energy use comes from heating hot water and cooking. And those appliances in homes that are in the, the social housing sector will almost always be provided by the landlord. So whilst the tenant might have the opportunity to use them less it's probably not going to happen especially with massively rising fuel prices at the moment as well if we're making those devices those appliances in or we're providing inefficient appliances uh, we are adding to the problem there so there's some, something interesting there about actually what from a technology perspective where and how do you set the boundaries of what is your responsibility and actually starting to expand that rather than getting really tightly focused and saying well you know microsoft planted a few trees it's all all right isn't it gov because it probably isn't indeed and uh, yeah there's lots of examples of that from the world of industry and uh, environment you know energy efficient energy efficient machines and things like that so 
definitely something we'll end up talking about. And we'll also, I think, Matt, we'll talk, we'll talk a lot more about diversity as we as we go through, because there are certainly, we've talked about diversity before with neurodiversity, we've talked about gender diversity, but the, you know, we, we need to continue to look at this, don't we? Yes, and I think thinking about areas of diversity where we just haven't had the conversations. You know, I'm constantly aware that we are two white, middle-aged, relatively wealthy blokes. <laughs> and <Speaking> so. <laughs> I'm trying to work out which one of those you're questioning. But, uh, all of those. You know, well, all of those. Okay, fair enough. But I think, yes, we, we should be looking more, I think, about race and the role of race in the technology industry. I think there's some very interesting questions there. I think we need to continue to think about with the ability in interviews and others about how we make sure the services are accessible. I'm also really interested in, in gender and sexuality and the the you know what role does that have to play and what is it like to be a gay person working in the tech industry for example and uh, so i'd just like to be able to explore a few more elements there just to be able to get us thinking more about again where are we putting up barriers and are we being inclusive in the way in which we're designing services that are to be used by others so plenty more to do there privacy continues to be an area of interesting concern and particularly i think an area where as we start to diverge from european law and regulation it could become an increasingly interesting area politically well that's right and and of course commercially and and corporately because i mean the breakfast the the breakfast the brexit dividend is yet to be sufficiently uh, well articulated as far as i can see we appear to be talking about raising tax at the moment where where i as far as I was aware, there was there were three hundred fifty million pounds a week uh, going spare. So I don't know why we why we need to raise tax at the moment. But there you go. There will definitely will be you know an, an effort to diverge from uh, European regulation, won't there, in order to make us more efficient or whatever that might whatever that means. How that actually impacts people in terms of their privacy and how it impacts organisations as they as they decide how to make hay from these this wonderful new uh, regulation free environment. If they are also, of course, you know, it's all very well having no regulation or different regulation, but then as you trade with other parts of the world, you need to still need to be showing that you're you're working to their standards often. So it will be interesting. I think hopefully we can talk to some people, find some, some industry experts and people who are, are living in this particular dream to talk to about that as, as time goes on. And then I think the other subject area that will be continuing to be important, so we talked about it actually at the top of the show, um, is the future of the workplace or the continually evolving nature of the workplace as organisations come out of the experience of lockdown, hopefully stay out of the experience of lockdown, but then try to make sense of the working environments that we provide for our employees and what the technology role is within all of this as well and as we've now discovered that it is possible for organizations to operate okay with uh, a large reliance on uh, tools like teams or zoom what will that mean for the evolution of those kind of tools and what other areas might we start to see and i think the challenges of hybrid working will be coming uh, ever more prevalent and particularly hybrid meetings and i think that's the one area above all else where i think there's going to be some real challenge over the next six months or so so we'll continue to keep that as a topic of uh, conversation and we'll find people who can be able to help us explore that along the way well, with all that to look forward to it's almost an anticlimax to think about what's happening 
in our own lives this week, Matt? What's happening with you? So it is a trip to Manchester for me on Wednesday evening. I'll be in Manchester for the day on Thursday at the Housing 2021 conference. And I'm going to be hosting a panel, funnily enough, about the future of work with some people from different housing associations across the country. And I think we've got somebody from FutureGov in that session as well. I'm also going to uh, use it as an opportunity to be able to meet up my technical architect who lives in Chorley in Lancashire. So it's just down the road for him in comparison to where our office is, which is definitely not just down the road. And yeah, just to see what it's like to go to a big event after two years of going nowhere near big events. So that could be interesting. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. How about you? So I've got some more CIA 100 stuff to do, and so I'm looking forward to that. And we've got uh, various things at work around virtual events, still virtual events, but I've seen more uh, physical events popping into the calendar for 2022. So um, we've got I've got some presentations to prepare for the virtual ones, which involves me yabbering into a camera in my tiny little lonely office. Dreaming about the day when I've got a real audience who have to sit there and listen to me whether they like it or not in uh, real life. So so that's me for this week. How long do you think it's going to be before you will be doing uh, real life events? Well, I know that there are real life events planned for the end of the year, but they are probably smaller events. You know, they're kind of dinners and things like that, you know, with maybe half a dozen people. I don't I know that there are some live events going on in different parts of Europe, but in terms of like a big event for, for IDC, I know that in February we have one in the Middle East. So that will be probably one of the first decent sized ones. And that's and that's a lot longer than I thought it would be, right? I thought by now we would probably be starting to see because these things take a lot of time. You know, we saw Gartner, for example, all their events were gonna be you know, they're gonna have they had one in Barcelona planned, they had one in Florida that was planned. And they had to pull them quite late and change them to virtual events, which which wouldn't have been any fun for them because, you know, a lot of planning goes into this and a lot there's a lot of time and effort and investment goes into them. So to pull it and try and have to do it virtually is a is a is a real blow. Um whereas at the start of the year, when you have to start thinking about these things, we took the view that we just wouldn't we couldn't with a hand on our heart say we'd be absolutely sure we could do this thing in, in October, like when our CIO event is. So we, we just took the decision it would be virtual, which was a, again, that was a hard decision because everybody wanted to get back to a physical event, but actually it turned out to be the right one because there was no way you, you would say we could do a physical event right right now with any confidence, right? Certainly, I don't, I haven't got my finger on the pulse about the different sort of case rates in different parts of Europe, but certainly not in the UK, probably not in Spain. I don't know about you know, other places, but it's all too volatile really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So and bringing people say, from yeah. multiple countries as well is the hard bit, isn't it? It's, if you're a single country, maybe not so much of a headache, but actually trying to bring people from across multiple countries at the moment. Absolutely. In-country is much easier. Now, the, the Middle East one is a Middle East event, so that will have people from various different countries that are in the region. So that will be, that will be a, a bit of a test. But, you know, I think at some point people have to bite the bullet and try it because if you wait until the perfect time, it's not going to happen, I don't think. Mm. Oh, well, well, enjoy the preparations for the virtuals. It'll all be fine. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for joining us. It's good to be back. As you can hopefully tell, we've got a lot of stuff coming up in the uh, the months to come. So with that, thank you, Chris. And thank you, Matt. And we will be back next week with another episode of WB40.
thank you for listening to our return after our summer break. We are, as always, available on Twitter at WB40Podcast, on the internet at WB40Podcast.com, and you can find the podcast on all good podcasting platforms. <laughs>